If you weren't here last week, I, I really, you know, it's not yay the preaching and all that stuff. It's just the the message was from the Lord, and I feel like uh, if you weren't if you weren't here last week, please go online get the message. If you need a copy, talk to me. It's just it hits the heart of of who we are as a people and what we're to be about. It just hit the nail on the head, and, and the Lord really. Uh, just brought it home for me, at least, and I felt like that was a, a real blessing. And that was chapter. That was chap, the last part of chapter four in James. But if you remember, last week, at the end of James, he talks about basically the idea was that we were to be submitted in every area of our lives to the will of Father. You know, so often we go through life and we forget or we ignore the fact that we've been bought with a price. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The moment you called out, Lord God, save me, the ownership of your life was transferred into his hands. As Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is now Christ who lives in me. You know, the life I now live in this body, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer Matt who lives, hopefully, but it's Christ who lives in me. You know, and that's what we attain to, aspire to, to live like Jesus did, denying self and going after the will of the Father. What is your will? Not my will, Lord. We know that's a fight every single day. We've talked about it. Amen? Well, James uses the example, and he says, of a businessman who decided that he he would leave God out of a certain area of his life, out of planning. And he uses this businessman as an example in chapter thir- uh, verse 13 of chapter 4. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this city and that city and spend a year here and carry on business and make money. So, you know, listen to you guys who are talking like that. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, it, if, it's the, if it is the Lord's will, we will live And do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. And if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This man was Lord of his own life. He chose where he go, the day he would go. Tomorrow, we're going to go do this and that. He chose the place. We're going to go to this city. He chose the time. We're going to be there for a year. He chose what he would be doing there to do his business. And he chose also the goal of his life. He was the Lord of his own goals in his life. This is sin. Now, as I mentioned last week, these are actually really good qualities of a person. You want a person who plans who thinks out things, who, who, who goes and, and, and isn't just going by their, you know, Go, okay, whatever happens, we'll go and see what happens. You really want someone, you know, it's wise to plan out. God talks about the sluggard in Scripture. These things are to be commended, but apart from submitting them to the will of God, it is sin, and it's folly, and it's foolishness, it's arrogance. And so, the problem wasn't that the guy diligently planned, it was what he didn't do. For if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, it is sin for you. As Christians, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we have been bought with a price. We are no longer our own. You and I do not call the shots. 
I talked about that last week. That uh, There's an exercise. How many of you did the exercise, exercise this last week? Remember what it was? To wake up, look in the mirror, and say what? You don't call the shots. You check in with the Lord. How many of you, like I used last week, how many of you have ever had an employee under you? And if that employee decides that they're going to do this and this on that day with, without even consulting you and just when they're scheduled to work and these, these plans that you have for them that need to work together and they go and they go do whatever they're supposed to be, they want to do for, and they set their own goals and their own priorities apart from you, how, how wonderful is that? That person would be what? How much more as sons and daughters of the living God are we to check in and lay down our plans no matter how trivial in our mind before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It makes a difference. You know, and I wonder, why, you know, why am I not, you know, effective in my relationship with, you know, with the Lord? Sometimes you're like, well, you're up there preaching. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Each of us has the same struggle. You know, doing the thing, you know, my, my priorities are askew. They haven't been submitted to the Lord. They're what's best in my mind oftentimes. My wife says amen. <clears throat> not bringing our plans and not living our lives before the Lord was sin. He wasn't submitted to the Lord. He didn't even ask. He ought to said, if it is the Lord's will, I will do such and such. Think about this in our lives. Think about it. What commitments, what decisions, what plans, what investment, what purchases, what endeavors have you made in the past year or months without even laying it before the Lord for a time. We're going to go on a vacation because we've always gone on vacation. We're going to go three-wheeling because we always go three-wheeling. We're going to buy this car because we can. We're going to, you know what I mean? We're going to, you know, go on, you know, you know, have John do sports because he likes baseball. Hey, wait a second family doesn't rule my life. The Lord rules my life. What is he saying? Have I laid these things before the Lord? And if he says, go do it, have fun, amen. It's an opportunity, right? But if the Lord says, hold off, and we go ahead and do that, think of the things that he might have wanted to use us for during that time. And we're off wasting our energy and our time, or we're spending money and, and things. Not, it's not that these things are bad. It's not that this guy, was, this planning wasn't bad. It's that it wasn't submitted before the Lord. In every area of our lives, we lay it down before the Lord. Now, part of that is, well, how does he speak to me? That's where we get to grow, right? You want to hear the Lord. You know, he speaks to us, number one, through his word. You see that. Yeah, he lays out things in scriptures. Don't do things that are contrary to the scriptures. If you don't know the scriptures, it's time to learn. It's time to get in. Start to read them. Go with another brother and sister. Plug into one of the small groups. Grab a, grab a friend who's in the Lord and knows a little bit more than you do. You're going to be teaching each other. Believe me. <clears throat> Popping in those tapes. Listening to you know certain Christian radio or whatever it might be instead of the radio for that day. Whatever it is, let the Lord minister to you and grow you in hearing his voice. He works through brothers and sisters in the church. He works through godly people. He speaks to us. 
plans are not our own. Our assets, as we'll learn in a little while here, are not our own. Everything is the Lord's. We've been bought with a price, and we are managers of his stuff, of his kingdom of assets. Our very being is his. That brings it to a whole new level, doesn't it? Convicts me. So, and to live contrary to what the Lord wants, man, we got to repent. We have to repent. We're not to make any decisions independent from God. Independence is not what we are about. We are totally 100% dependent upon God. And by the way, we are dependent upon one another. We are a body. This is the age of the artist. It's the age of the individual. How weird and whacked out and apart different can I be from everything? Look at me. That is not what glorifies the Lord. It's how can I become less and you become more? How can I lay down my life that you might live? How can I be seen through and God be glorified in my life? It's the opposite. You know, that exercise, try it out. Look in the mirror and say, hey, you don't call the shots anymore. Check in with the boss. Keep that self in check in every area of our lives. And now James continues. You know, we don't want to be self-reliant. We want to be, or self-serving. We want to be focused on the Lord and on eternity, not the here and now. This isn't all that is. <clears throat> and James continues to, to talk about this, that we're to be focused on the Lord and his will. In chapter 5, verse 1, he, and he begins to speak to the rich. And I'll pull this together. But he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify you against you and you will eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days thank you james now james is echoing obviously the prophets of old who warned against the rich in israel who are abusing the poor and and who didn't were not rich towards god now i know some of you are going matt i make less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year so i'm not rich i'm just joking you know Taxing the rich, never mind. Okay. So this must not be for me. I'm not rich by the standards of rich in America. Now, this is one of the reasons why I just. How many of you have ever visit have been outside the United States? How many of you have ever been to a second world country, third world country, third world country? Raise your hands high. What did that do to you? What view was it? Where would you go? Well, yeah. What country was it again? Roton. Anyone else? Where would you go? Now that's the... Tell, yeah. What were the... And 
they can't understand why we water our lawns. People in Haiti. Why, why do you take care of your grass? Why are you using water for that? They just can't understand it. It can't compute. Why do you grow grass and then trim it and water it? That's like, that's my life. That's my resource. Amen. That's why we do it in America. But I tell you what, in the third world countries, they they will, they don't use water for those purposes. They want to drink. Ramy. Did you ever? Did anyone who went there ask them what their average wage was per day or per year? Dollars per day. I mean, there was a doctor in Minsk, Russia, making ten dollars a day, and the prices are pretty high. I'm just saying that we are rich here. We are rich. We are blessed. Yes, I understand we have bills and all these types of things, but we have access to wealth and, and, and to resources of wealth in this country that it's just amazing. Yeah, we're bankrupt and all these types of things, but I'm just saying that what other country, when you don't have work, you don't eat and you die. Here, you know, you complain a little bit and get a check. You know? It ha- what a blessing. We are absolutely blessed in this country. I'm praying that the Lord will open an opportunity for us to serve in some world in the third capacity, in the third world capacity, just to even a short-term mission trip, so we can open up our eyes, so we can look at this community afresh and say, "What are the resources that I have that God has given me?" Lord, this is yours. You know, there's needs and wants. You know what I'm saying? And anyways, I just I pray that that our eyes would open to that. But we are extremely rich and wealthy. It's amazing. And he says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify you and eat your flesh. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. This apocalyptic language, basically saying that your your stuff is going to testify you. If you packed up a bunch of stuff, you're holding it for yourself. At the end of time, why are you doing this? There are four things that James condemns, and I'm going to call them the ungodly rich, because it's not a sin to be rich, is it? It's all a matter of the heart. But there are four things that the ungodly rich, he talked about here. He said, first, they have hoarded wealth in the last days. James warns against hoarding wealth, storing up your treasures here on earth and living for today. The mindset of the godly rich the godly rich is to be an asset manager for the Lord. Everything that we have is not our own. It's his. And we're to be managers of that wealth. Everything you had from your four-wheeler to, you know, your mailbox, everything is his. 
Everything is his. What is the Lord calling you to use it for? Is it, is it to have fun with your family? Is it to bless a neighbor? Is it to, is it to take in someone? Is it to, you know, you know what I'm saying? Everything, it's his. We're like that, you know, the people who were given the various coins to invest. These coins that we have around us aren't ours, and there will be a day when we give an account for it. But you have hoarded wealth in last days. James warned against it. The mindset that we ought to have is the opposite of that. Lord, all this is yours, and as your spirit leads, I'll disperse your wealth for your kingdom. The mindset of the ungodly rich is greed. To accumulate wealth for the purpose of having more and to attain power and control over people and circumstances. Isn't that why you want to have more? So you have power and control over circumstances? Well, when you realize that the Lord is in control, you don't need to worry about that. That takes faith, obviously. But we know that Jesus spoke on the subject a couple of times. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You know, there's a lot to be said about where our hearts are. Just look at how we manage our wealth. Are our hearts with our Father in heaven or with self on earth? Is Christ a reality in my life and is reflected by my actions? Or is it just religion and something I'm just going through, you know? These are questions I'm asking myself as we do this. Terry preached on the other story that Jesus told in Luke. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. (laughs) Oh boy, that sounds like somebody would say, Hey, Jesus. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to judge and an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He was talking to the disciples. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my bards and build bigger ones. And then I will store up my surplus in grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who's going to get all what you've prepared for yourself? Who's going to get it? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Is not rich towards God. You fool. You never see a U-Haul following a hearse. You've heard that, you know? It just doesn't happen. They don't, you know, the Egyptians tried to do that and shove all the treasure in your tomb. It's still there. It's corroded. That first thing, hoarding up treasure, holding on to wealth. That doesn't mean we, be, don't, we aren't wise managers of things. That doesn't mean we aren't like Joseph who stockpiled things for seasons that, ha, that were coming upon us. But it was all about the Lord's business. The second thing James exhorted the ungodly rich about was that they were, uh, was that they were unjust with their employees. Unjust with those who worked with them. Verse 4, Look! 
The wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields and are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty or the Lord of the Sabbath, depending on your translation. As some of your, you know, as some of your translations have it, they have it translated either the Lord of the Sabbath or the Lord Almighty. It wasn't that they didn't have the money to pay them. It's that they love money more than they love people. They didn't care about their wages. They didn't care about them. It was important that my things were taken care of. And if it was convenient for me, I will take care of you. You know, if you think that's not common practice today, I just... It, it is common. It happens. There's people out there working who don't get paid. There's, Well, I was just thinking about a, a different circumstance. Regardless of your political views on the things, remember the stimulus plan, or just to bail out some banks, right? And what do the banks do with the money? Supposed to open up lines of credit? For us? And what happened? They bought more banks. They went and bought more banks and brought them to themselves. It's like, wait a second. What about the Americans who are hurting, you know? I don't want to get into a political speech here, but I'm just saying that this, this spirit exists within mankind today. Look at the construction industry. Boy, we're talking about robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know how many workers are just trying to make ends meet and they're told to go make something? They go and they work and they don't get paid for months on end? When they said they would get paid? It happens. It's happening now. I bet you it's happening in Walla Walla. Maybe it's happened to you. It's wrong. The reason, if you're an employer, you have assets, is to be a blessing and to accomplish the will that God has put you there for. Yes, you're to make a profit for your company. And there are ethics, but we treat our employees well. That's what Christians do. We treat people the way that we want to be treated. We bless them, even if it hurts up. You know, maybe I take less pay so they can get paid this week, you know? I've had bosses that have been like that. That's amazing to me. But that greed, that taking care of number one. You see, when the Lord isn't Lord, it's man's natural tendency to be a self-server. When the Lord isn't number one, our natural tendency is to hey, take care of me. And you taking care of yourself really well? well? I think we all pretty do. Right? But when Christ is our Lord, we're about doing the will of the Father. And then we are thinking of others. Even if it ends up not being beneficial for me. They get paid before me, you know what I mean? The ungodly rich that James was addressing here didn't take care of those that they employed. And some of those were probably forced laborers. And some of the other translations, like I said, it said Lord of the Sabbath, and they were probably working them on the Sabbath, you know, as they're referring to that in, in like King James, the New King James, things like that. They're probably referring to them, like the ears, it's come up to the Lord of the Sabbath. Hey, you're working these people seven days a week. They worked a six-day work, six work week. The seventh day, they're forcing them to labor. Hey, that's against the, the law as being a Jew. Their heart reflected their lifestyles. Amen? Did. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted yourself for the day of slaughter. Thirdly, the ungodly rich had a lifestyle of luxury and self-indulgence. Luxury meaning living for pleasure. Living for pleasure in the Greek. Paul, speaking to Timothy about the widows, said in, in chapter, I think it's uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 5, I can't remember, 5 verse 5, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God 
and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure, who lives for luxury, is dead even while she lives. He's looking at, he's talking about the widows and saying how to disperse. He says the, the widow who is, is humble before God and, and who's praying for the needs, those are the ones we support. The ones who are living after this world and who are living after pleasures and, and greed is their motive. They're dead. Don't take care of them. Wow. A heart that's been on luxury and self-indulgence is, offens- is offensive to God. Now, does Matt, does that mean I can't have a luxury car? Matt, does that mean I can't have a, you know, a nice, you know, a nice house or a great vacation and enjoy these things? Hey, listen, you're asking the wrong guy. Who do we ask about these things? And if he says it's okay, then guess what? Who's going to mess with you? No one. If he's blessed you, enjoy it. Praise the Lord. Amen? It's a gift from him. If he says it's okay, but if he's saying, no, I don't want you to have that, then what are you doing? It's the Lord's anyways. And that's how we're to think about things. Lay all these things before the Lord and do what was right and pleasing before him. Amen? It's not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of pleasing the Lord. What's, our, what's it say before him? You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Verse 6, he says, you've, you've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is, who is not opposing you. Lastly, James, condemn the rich of condemning and murdering the innocent one who is not opposing them. Now, this could be a reference to our Lord who is innocent by all means and was condemned and convicted and murdered at the hands of the rich Pharisees, the greedy Pharisees. That could be a reference here. The second one, this could just refer to the common worker. Nevertheless, it was using their power and authority for evil. As the scriptures teach about that, it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is really the heart of what's going on here. It's all kinds of evil. It gets real messy when you love money, when you're going after it. It gets real messy. All kinds of evil. You know, and this, the, one, the example James are given here is just hoarding wealth, abusing those that are under you, having a heart set on luxury and self-indulgence and condemning and murdering innocent, you know, using your power for evil. James is taking a stand against those who live after these things, whose hearts are set on earthly things, not on heavenly things. You know, and just as a big overarching thought, and this is my own personal suggestion, it's not a commentary, but I'm just thinking as I'm reading here because of him talking to the Lord of the harvest, I'm assuming that most of the people in the Jewish church were common folk, were probably farmers, ostracized from their families, for being Jews, having to work menial jobs, hard labor, probably probably not that well off. And rich people were taking advantage of rich other Jews who had money. And he's talking to him and says, hey, I know that you're ostracized in all these things. They think you're a second-class citizen in all these things. You're, you're poor, you're condemned, you're working seven days a week treating you poorly, all these things. These things should not happen. You're not getting paid. You're hungry. I believe he's talking to the rich who are abusing the church here. 
And that's because I believe it follows up in verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. All these things are happening, but be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rain. See, he's using these agricultural pictures again. You too, be patient and stand firm, just like waiting for that crop. You too, just stand firm. Hold on. Because the Lord's coming is near. The Lord's coming is near. James puts their hearts and minds back on eternity. In closing here, back on the kingdom that is their home. Back on the Lord's coming. He tells them to be patient until the Lord's coming. He's coming. Hold on. Put your eyes back on the prize. I know these hardships are happening and your eyes are looking all around you. Look back to the the hope. Look to him. He's coming. He's at the door. Almost done. We're almost there. Hold on. It's very difficult to wait sometimes. I don't know about you. Life's pressures and pains can be pretty overwhelming, don't you think? I mean, struggling with depression for years on end, struggling with pain in your body for years on end, struggling with, you know, relationship problems for years and finances and just all the stresses that just pour upon us can be overwhelming. And we just, we lose hope. And we are to lose hope if our, if our focus is down here. If our focus is on our kingdom that's not working out the way we thought it would be. That valuable crop, I'm convinced, is those who give their lives to Jesus Christ. The Lord's waiting. There's a purpose why he isn't quick. There's, a, there's, a, there's something in his plan that's bigger. He waited for you, and he's waiting for more. He's waiting. And that's why we wait. For his plan, his purpose. There are those who have yet to come to Jesus Christ. There are those people that are around you. That's why you exist, to do your Father's will in heaven, to reach them, to touch them, to speak truth into their lives, to change them. Let go of this world and grab onto His and His will for our lives. Who cares what they think of you? Paul was a mocker. He went and condemned Christians, but God knocked him off his horse and he became, he wrote half the New Testament, most of the New Testament. How many Pauls are around there right now? Obstinate. Even James, who's writing this thing, was against the gospel. He was like, came to take Jesus away from the ministry at one point with his mother and brothers and sisters. But his life was changed. He's waiting. There's a crop that's coming. Our lives before him. There's things he wants to do in us and through us. There's people. That's why we wait. And how the enemy loves to get us off track with wealth building and various pursuits. Amen? Now be patient. Stand firm, he says, because the Lord's coming is near. Stand your ground. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Look to him. Don't look to anything else. Look to him. Hold on. And by the way, James has to add this in here. 
being the natural exhorter that he is by the Holy Spirit. In light of that, verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Stop it. Do not grumble against one another. And if you didn't get um, Marcus's message on godly communication, it's online. If you tried to access it, I, I fixed it. It was had a problem, but go and grab it. Godly communication, the way we speak to one another. We're not to be grumbling with one another. It's not be petty. We're to love one another and give each other grace. How many of you just need a little bit of grace in your life? How many of you are, are blowing it every day and you just need someone to put their arm around you? Okay, wait, hands went down on that one. That's what we need. Not someone to tell you what you're doing wrong all over again. That's the Lord's job and my job on Sunday and obviously your wife's job. And You know what I'm saying? We're to exhort one another in love because we love each other. He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. It's very near. There's a one day soon that we're going to give an account. James reminds his sheep to have their lives respond and to reflect the reality of Christ because the judge is at the door. Amen? Let it be a reminder to us this morning. The return of Christ to this earth is a reality. And all of our earthly pursuits will be gone. Gone. Glasses, clothes, house, mortgage, extra car, gone. Timeshare, praise the Lord, God. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Whoever has timeshares. It's gone. How did you treat your neighbor? How did you love and obey God? That's it. He's coming for his church. Whether you die today and go home, or whether he comes and gets us, it's happening. Don't grumble. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this is your beloved bride. These people in here, you, you sent your son to bleed and die for you. You'd love them with a passion that's inexplainable. It was demonstrated on the cross, Lord, but we can't comprehend it. Change us, Lord. At one hymn, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to your blood. Lord, may we look through the eyes of Jesus at this world. May we look through the eyes of Jesus at our circumstances and at our relationships and our our wealth and assets and our problems, Lord, all through your kingdom. What would bring you glory, Lord God? Speak to us, Lord, by your spirit, we ask. Encourage us. Pull us out of the pit we're in, Father. Forgive us. Put us on the right path. In the name of Jesus, amen.